What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. to all of you beautiful pod people out there. I'm your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another edition of This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. If you're wondering what the hell we do here, I mean, that's my job. I'm here to tell you. Each and every week, I bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance scene. And what that means is just really digging into the minds of musicians, uh, festival founders, choreographers, comedians, actors, really anyone obsessed with performance in the way that we are over here at TMBTG Studios. So before we dig into this week's amazing interview with... uh, you know who. We'll talk about him later. Let's check in with our constant companion here, Adam. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hi. Hello. What's new? I am going to tell you what's new. It's mm-hmm. that brandest, newest, most excitingest, amazingest new logo. I know. We've rebranded. We had the amazing Miguel Centeno put together a new logo that matches the joy and vibrant energy that is Lior Phillips? No, it matches exactly what my guest's energy permeates onto my brain. Soul. Oh, 
brain soul. Brain soul. Where's your brain? In your soul? In your soul, soul it's your brain, brain soul. Okay. And if you want to see more illustrations from Miguel, we highly recommend going to M-I-K-E-C-E-N-T-E-N-O.com, MikeCenteno.com to see more of his illustrations and comics. He's a great artist. Go support him. He's and fantastic. And he'll be doing much more in the future for us. And it's new for us, but we hope it brought some new beauty and joy to your pod feed this morning as you're scrolling through your app. You're like, hey, what's this? Oh, wait, it's the show I love with and some more excitement us, and energy. And also let us know what you think about it. Yes, absolutely. Tell us how much you love it specifically. <laughs> we sound like, um, what's that movie with? <laughs> what? What's that movie? It's, um, um, Pleasantville. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the movie? Yes, I <laughs> so do. We're, like, we're, we're in bright. This is new and it's amazing. We're yes, in bright, vibrant We sound like now. we're selling a Ponzi scheme of uh, Tupperware. No, but really we are we are sounding uh, very plasticky because we are so excited about the prospects of being redesigned and renewed. And if you want to tell us about how excited you are, Hit us up at all the social media outlets at TMBTGPod or at Lior Phillips also. Tell us about how you feel about the show. We'd love to hear about or it. Or just tell us how you feel. Oh, yeah. Are you happy today? Let us know. We want to know. Or are you down? Let us know. We want to know. And while you're at it, we also want you to leave... Wait, I shouldn't say we want you to. You have to. You must leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Do on it. Stitcher... Wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a five-star review right now. And we will give you a shout-out on the show. We give somebody a shout-out every week. It might as well be you. I think that's very courteous. It might as well be you. Leave us a five-star review, and it could be you. This week, it goes to someone with the delightful (laughs) name of King Wart. (laughs) King of the Warts, young Padawan. (laughs) King Wart left us this wonderful note. The host is very engaging and energetic. That's true. The questions are good and help bring out great answers and stories from the artists. That's oh, also true. Okay. Highly recommend. So thanks for those wonderful Chef's words of wart. King Warty. I hope you sort out your wart. If you don't, that's okay too. <laughs> okay, so let's get into this week's interview, shall we? Our guest is Kevin McHale, who is a delightful human being who you may have first come to know in his role as Artie on the beloved musical TV mainstay Glee. Heard yes. of it? Heard of it? Heard of it. Um, but he's done so many things. And uh, But did you know that there is many more little perkles of information about him that is not Googleable? So tune in. So after over a decade of having key roles on, you know, everything from Fox's Emmy Award winning Glee to ABC miniseries When We Rise, uh, he has a brand new musical debut. He is now kind of reintroducing himself and his new EP, his new thrilling pop EP, Boy, will be released on June 21st. So if you're tuning in today... Guys, that's just a few days away. In this week's really giggly conversation, Kevin and I chat about his history in pop music, what it was like developing his own voice while singing other people's songs on TV, the grueling reality of the Glee tour and seeing Jessica Simpson and Ricky Martin as a kid. There's just so much to dig into. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode because... 
I had I had a good old right old laugh. <laughs> no, I, I learned so much about him and his commitment to the entertainment scene, especially diving into and picking apart what it takes to be in this industry to start and then obviously creatively feeling very fulfilled in a new direction and it doesn't mean that he isn't acting ever again Uh, it just means that he's uh, answering another call and if you want a little primer on the album you can listen to the first single help me now there's also james dean which we chat about so get to know the supremely talented human and let us not be delayed in that this is me and kevin enjoy enjoy said I like this boy right. Right, right He asked me to come over but I don't know what he's got in mind So do you want to talk about it Don't act like you're not about it And act like the shit never happens to you And we can just do what you normally do And sweep it up under the rug like you normally do. Normally do. And cuddle it up in the club like you normally do. You got me, so know that you will. Know that you will. Your breath smells a little bit like a lit cigarette. Your skin covers your sins like a silhouette. But your kiss is the softest thing I've ever felt before. Stop James Dean jeans, y'all with the sex Used to spend the nights alone on the dark internet And now you spend the nights instead with me and Barry, you know Your sins, I 
I'm so glad. Which which episode did you listen to? No, what's her name? Oh, my boyfriend's going to kill me. Oh. Kimbra. Ooh. Oh, amazing. Kimbra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's so she's so wonderful and I feel like I especially when you have this vision and this expectation of an artist that you've loved for so long, you always feel that they're going to be, you know, a little bit cagey or a little bit uh, you know, unattached, <laughs> and I feel like she's so in totally, tune. Yeah. I think, yeah, and I, I've, I've seen her in concert too, and it made a lot of sense. Like seeing her talk about her music or how she talks to the crowd, I was like, mm. oh yeah, it makes a lot of like this directly correlates to the yes. music to me. But you Absolutely. know, sometimes you see people talk, and you're like, how do you come out with that? Music? I'm like, oh yeah, it makes sense. But I kind of weirdly, so when I was younger, I think I hated that. I hated when it didn't match up. And the artist yes, felt so separate, but now I kind of like that because we're so we're so prone to so much information about everybody that there's no mystery. And so now I want, obviously, because I'm so demanding, I want everything else, you know. So I want, I really don't want to know yeah. much, which makes this hard, obviously, because that is the <laughs> that is the <laughs> premise of the show. Um, but I'm so glad that you're doing this. I agree this. with you completely, though. Yeah. Did, was there any artist that you feel like you've seen that has maybe not uh, felt right? Like, it, it hasn't matched up to the image that you thought they had initially? I will say there was a difference between, like, old Beyonce and new Beyonce. Yes. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Where I was, like, the biggest Beyonce fan. I saw her in concert a billion times, and sometimes mm. it would be... Like, she wouldn't really talk to the audience. And it was one of those things where I wanted her to be more engaging, where I thought she would be because she is such a great performer. Like, when you go see Gaga, for example, like, Gaga is just in it and is talking to people and is, like, a rock star. Then I go see Beyonce, and Beyonce is, like, the consummate professional where everything is planned to a T, mm. including, like, talking breaks. But I also get it because she's probably saving her voice. But then I think the past... I don't know, maybe for the past album or two, she seemed to, I don't know if it's loosening up or gotten more comfortable or just made a point to really interact more. And like when you see her in an interview, I do feel like there's a disconnect. Mm. Like her on stage is how she always calls it, like Sasha Fierce. Yes, absolutely. Where she's incredible and like going for it. And in interviews, she's super quiet and soft-spoken. And I feel like the past, yeah, a couple of years, those two are like sort of melding together. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. It, it it could it could obviously apply to so many different artists. I think that there's so many people in this world who have that persona on stage versus who they are, you know, in front of press versus who they are in front of family. 
you know, when, totally. when, when you're watching interviews sometimes, especially before I became a journalist all those years ago, I always thought, like, wow, okay, that's definitely the person. And then you realize that there right. are so <laughs> many layers that people are comfortable with giving, which is fine. I also feel like preservation as an artist is really important because giving too much sometimes, I, I can only imagine you get so caught up in not only the persona, but maybe what people think of you. I suppose in all aspects of your life, it's so difficult to give too much, even if you, even if you, even yeah. if it's easy for you, you know, to give everything. Yeah. And I also do think there's probably a naturally occurring disconnect between, let's say, how somebody is in the interview and how somebody is in their art. Because, I mean, just from like personal experience, I know how I communicate with people, like how you and I are talking, how I talk to friends and family. Right. And then if I put out a song, like I know what type of music I'm inspired by or a type of music I want to put out. And then people may hear that and not correlate that to how they've heard me talk in interviews, yes. which I get because there isn't necessarily a direct connection in terms of like, oh, all of a sudden we're going to put a trap beat over this. <laughs> and that's, and that's, sure. that's going to make sense to everyone, mm. you know? <laughs> but I like that, that it's an extension. It's, it's, a, it's a nice surprise also to realize that we do have so much behind us. And, and you know, comedians and, and people who are in the spotlight in that sense, I suppose, have to give everything because there, you know, there aren't other opportunities to do that unless they are playing True. a role. Maybe a comedian who does stand up is playing a dramatic role. You know, maybe then we'll be able to yeah. see other other sides. Even but then, I feel having been around a bunch of comedians or interviewed right. a couple of comedians, where there, there is sort of like when they're performing, they're performing, and even if they're just doing an interview or something, sometimes they are not that person you see on stage no they are so like, not I've, funny i know <laughs> i <yes>. know <laughs> it's like wait why do you suck at answering questions <laughs> you know because they're all just really down and case. depressed no it really is often yeah. the case it's yeah. it's it's i i've yeah. interviewed a couple of of comedians as well and i think the first thing they always say is thank you so much for asking me not to for not asking me to to tell a joke because so much of their ba yeah. the basis of their life, it's like as a singer, can you imagine walking to a room and someone's like, sing me a song, you know? Right, <laughs> exactly. So... You'd be like, okay, no. <laughs> no, thanks. You know, it's it's such a... Yeah, it's like, I know. A... Okay. <laughs> but I think stand-up uh, comedians especially get such a, a bad... They have such a bad experience with that because that is exactly what they're known for. And when you associate a person with laughter... You, it's, it is like a monkey. You want them to do what you want to yep. say, you know, do what you say. Yep. But so when you started then making your own material and making your own music and you played it for friends and family, were they surprised at all to hear how, the, you know, your ex the extension of, of your creativity? So my closest friends know. And how that happened was because a couple of years ago I started you know, I would always work on music, a song here, a song there, mm. and I would play it for like one or two of my really close friends. And I remember my friend Wednesday, who helped work on um, all my current music, I played her two of these songs um, a couple of years ago that aren't on the EP coming out. And I was like nervous. I'm like, oh, you know, these songs are about personal stuff. I think they're good, whatever. 
And I played them for her, and she's like, hmm, this doesn't sound like you. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean? That's my voice. Like, I wrote this. And she goes, she goes, no, no, I get that, and I like the song, but it doesn't sound like you. And had anyone else said that, I'd be like, okay, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I like. <laughs> yeah, get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, uh, great. Another person with an opinion. Yeah. But with her, <laughs> she knows me so well, and I think she gets me musically. Like, she knows what I'm influenced by. She knows what I, how I sort of write. And for her to sort of sit there and say, this doesn't sound like you. One, yes, it was sort of pop the balloon, and I was deflated of like, uh, what am I going to do? And then the other thing was like, okay, well, I guess that sort of takes the pressure off of, well, these songs aren't going to come out. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then cut to a couple of years after that, I was in the studio with her and my friend Justin, who produced all my music. And we went in with the intention to do something for me. So like, okay, I want both of you there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and she was just going to come hang out. She wasn't necessarily going to write anything. And we started, I started sort of freestyling the song with an idea I had. And between her and Justin and myself, we sort of pieced this thing together and we did the song. And I could tell she was going, like, you know, she's going along with it to figure out what the song was going to be and help guide it. And then at the end of it, I was like, how do you feel about this song? She's like, oh, I love it. She's like, I, I was like, okay, I get what you're saying now. I'm like, this feels like me. She goes, oh, totally. And it was not necessarily, you know, lyrical content or how I was singing, but it was that sort of intangible that you had been talking about, of sort of that thing, that disconnect. And it wasn't like a cool disconnect. It was right. where, you know, it just, it just didn't feel authentic. And this sort of married all of those worlds of this felt like, mean lyrically this felt like me in terms of vibe or style the things that you can't really put your finger on Mm. and it sort of clicked for me then of like oh you're smart and you do get me and I'm gonna like keep going down this path so a very long answer to your question I didn't really care no it makes sense as well yeah because the trajectory of somebody's career doesn't always necessarily begin with you feeling yourself or, or portraying right. that honesty and that realness. You know, they always say people's sophomore album or their third album is the time when you really get to know somebody because they've gotten to know themselves. Sure. And I, I, But I yep. do feel, even listening to your EP, I have a very good grasp on the, your direction and where you're wanting to go. And that is also because you, you've got this entire other life. So you're not just a musician yeah. who's come on to you know, onto the scene, you also have the benefit as well of of being in the public eye before, which I think is really, and especially in something as beloved as Glee, you know, I think that that Mm -hmm. also extends into the persona. But do you feel almost that you tried to not break away from it? Because I think that sounds unfortunately cliche, but did you try it all to uh, really dig a little bit deeper than you did all those years ago when you, when she first heard your music this time around? Um, I think so. And I don't think that's necessarily because I don't think it had any correlation to Glee. Mm. I think it was just where I was currently at when writing the songs in my life. And 
I realized it was also like you get older or having been on or a part of something successful like Glee where I felt like I did that and didn't really have anything to prove in terms of I need to play like the role of, you know, playing nicely and talking right. about things, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, and so I think once I realized, I was like, well, the only point in doing this is to make music that I'm going to be happy with or I'm going to want to listen to. There's no mm-hmm. other point to it like what why and to me like when i hear a new song or something i'm like okay is this song adding something to people's lives or Mm. to let's say the pop culture or whatever it is like if this song hadn't come out would we care and a lot of times the answer is oh yeah like if this song hadn't come out i can't imagine what my summer would would have felt like or what my spring would have felt like you know i correlate those things with times in my life so to me this is the first time i was like okay I feel like these are a really good reflection of that time. And I'm saying them how I would like to articulate them. And that was sort of it. There was no real conscious decision of being like, I need to really, you know, be as different as I possibly can from who I was on Glee, which I maybe should have put some more thought into. <laughs> no, I think it works. It, it, well, it I played it for some friends and, well, and some friends have been like, for example, the song called James Dean, which yes. is the song I was re- referencing a couple of minutes ago, yes. where I said that was the first one that was like, oh, this is the direction we should be heading in. And then Justin played it for one of our closest friends who knows me very well. And he's like, this song doesn't feel like him. This song feels like he's trying really hard. Oh, no. Which, and making it, <laughs> which, yeah, in making it, it was the complete opposite experience. Like it was almost, it was just us like throwing out random melodies and ideas and it came together really naturally, more naturally than any of the other songs. And, and that's funny that you say so that because I, that, I weirdly wrote a few notes on that song particularly because it sounds definitely, I thought maybe it was the first song that you wrote for the EP um, because it just sounds it. <laughs> like, and also because you're talking, it doesn't sound like where you're at right now. It's because you're talking about liking right. a boy and you're in that beginning sa- stages and there's all that wonder. There is that persona coming out of, you know, I can speak for myself. I have this voice, yes. you know. I sort of love that, that he didn't like it or think yes. it felt organic because it was something like, okay, then here's, you know, now we can have a, like a conversation about something. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any music out or you don't, you're not, you know, pushing people in certain ways to feel things, then what are you doing? And so I really liked that. <laughs> Justin didn't so much like the fact that he didn't like the song <laughs> or think it was authentic. He was like, I don't get it. I'm like, no, Justin, this is good. I mean, that means like, there's something to talk about. That means that people have feelings and opinions about these things. And that's all you can really, you can't, you can't obviously force people to like or not like a song or you can't gauge how they're going to react to it. And whether it's negative or positive response, I like that people can actually have a reaction to it like that. I think it'd be worse if it was just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, no, I, I would of course, like it, but indifferent. Like, no, I, yeah. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Also, or, I think, you know, yeah, I love and so, again, music is so subjective. So especially going into this ground, you, you're in a pop you know, it's, it's, it's pop tinged. So I feel like going into yeah, that totally. world you are also then coming up against other people who will have differing opinions about their own music and, you know, everything else going on right now and what is trendy, what is classic. 
I, you know, I'm not sure what music you grew up with, but I'm sure that's influenced and affected how you have started making your own music in some respect. So how, you know, if somebody doesn't oh, like it, you can't go, okay, well, how much time do you have? Because this, this is what I was influenced by, you know, it's, yes. uh, you've got like three minutes yes. to impress, <laughs> to impress and also introduce yourself to somebody. Um, but it doesn't sound like there was any pressure, which is really, I think, not surprising sound, just hearing how you're, you know, hearing how you speak. But I think yeah. there could be, there potentially could be a lot of pressure coming into the industry at this, at this point in your career. By the way, what you just said was very well said. That was, that was wonderful. Where you do have sort of a short amount of time to introduce yourself as an artist and you can't sit there and go through and be like, no. well, the reason I said this lyric or the reason we added this. Like, That's why I, I feel like, so terrible. You as can't. A, you can't. Yeah. That's why I feel so terrible as a critic yeah. sometimes because they they really and that's why I don't read like if if your press sends me a bio and things like that because I can't be yes. affected you you really have that because nobody else is getting that bio you know the the average standard it's listener true. when we were younger I would you know sit on my knees hunched over my CD player with you know the the CD and be able to unfold all of that information you know that the artist gives yep. you but if you're streaming on Spotify you're like what the fuck is this track and you skip a head you know yeah exactly. it's, it's i mean again yeah. it's it's kind of devastating and really sad um but i also feel yeah. like it pushes you as an artist to also get your point across really quickly you know you just don't have time yeah um which i think you do exactly that on this ep you know there's a lot of things that you also speak about oh, which, <laughs> which is why i love pop as well is because there's so many things that you can speak about without sounding morbid or sounding like you know again at, at, at the bottom of a well you know you you you're talking about right. being insecure i think it's on um help me now help me now which is which yeah. is out already but you know you're talking about being insecure and defensive which i think you know you don't normally hear that in a normal pop song and to hear you say that in such a way, I think, is is really important because those weirdly, those two words are, could resonate with anyone, um, no yeah. matter what the context is. I don't know what the context that you're talking about there, but, you know, that, that really could resonate. Yeah, and I think that was sort of a an eye-opening thing for me because I think what you touched on before was because there wasn't any pressure, because nobody was like, Where's your album? Kevin, you have to make an album. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could just sort of make it and I'm like, well, we'll do it if we want to do it. And if we like the songs, then we'll put it out. Like, that was it. And and I think that's how those lyrics sort of come about. Because, yeah. again, as I was saying before, like, if I'm not doing anything that doesn't, like, resonate with me or I feel like I'm not adding anything to conversation, then what's the point? And I think once I realized that, oh, you have artists who are self-deprecating, like mm -hmm. SZA, even if you don't realize it, but the way she writes is super self-deprecating. Like one song, she can be like literally making fun of her own butt. And then the next song, she can be sort of confident and sexy or whatever it is. And I think when you have artists like that who do connect with so many people, you then see that, okay, I think there is a desire or hunger for that, for people to be honest, to not be completely polished, to call themselves out. Cause I like that. 
like I like listening to that. So there's going to be other people who like listening to that. And, and it wasn't necessarily like an intentional thing. It was like, once I realized that I could do that and it was acceptable because like you said, you have such a short window to make an impression because you can't have the album packaging of, you know, all the pictures to put it all together. Like you don't get a complete story anymore, which is very, very true. And so if you can just sort of skip to the point and be like, okay, well, here's all sort of the worst things about me, yeah. but I want to think about it to sort of get through it. And it helped me personally. Yeah. yeah. So how did you, how were you able to then push past that and actually write those, those words? Because it, it's a big thing to say that to a friend or to be honest, to just say it to yourself, like our voices inside right. are so loud. I mean, sometimes mine, I'm just like, can you just give me a break for one second? <laughs> I cannot hear anything else because you are screaming. Um, and sometimes like she's completely just numb and she's just walking around and looking, you know, because yes. of being so overwhelmed, yep. which I so often get. But when, when did you, when you sat down to write after, I'm sure, which, which came first? Were the, was it the melody or were, were it the lyrics that came first for you? Uh, it depends. I mean, sometimes it's both at the same time and sometimes it's the melody. Usually I would go in, for example, for like Help Me Now, I went, went in with no melody, but I had the um, the idea mm. of I'm insecure. And then I had sort of the examples, some of the examples I wanted to use. I didn't know how that was going to come out. Or the song Younger, Justin had come up with um back when we were younger like that line and it was to a completely different track and i listened to it and immediately that sort of took me to like i was i immediately knew what i wanted to write about but i didn't have um the lyrics but i did have some melodies so it just depends on like you know it's like the chicken or the egg of course <laughs> like what comes first or what hits you or what yes. affects you first and yeah, and so normally I was, I'm, I can do, you can come up with melodies for days, but for me to, like, unlocking a song or be able to move forward on it is figuring out lyrically what I wanted to say. And for me, it was usually the more honest and self-deprecating, the better. Yeah. Because that's how I am. And mm. so I was like, oh, if I can just really not separate myself at all for my personal life of writing a song, I'm like, this is much easier. So then I would usually go with that. Do you feel that... And I would push myself, though. Yeah, because, I was yeah. just going to ask. Because also pushing, you know, admitting that you want to attach some sort of message to your music is one thing. But then actually going through with it is complete, you know, is another. Or, you know, it's like that old adage where you're seeing, like, the writer writing and then they scrumple up pieces of paper and then throw it to the corner of the room, you know, and it misses the, right. you know, it misses the trash can. And then, you know, it's like there's so many ways that we start writing and then it's hard to commit to it in the end. So how much, yes. how much of that did you go through? There honestly wasn't a lot. I think it was, mm. I would do a lot of that in my head of, you the only way like what inspires me or gets my creative like juices flowing is to be brutally honest it goes either super super generic or i have to be very specific and the more specific i would get i feel like the better the song or the easier time i would have writing it and that was usually the process 
where I would just be like, okay, we'll just go. Like, what's the point of not going for it? Yes. Like, what's the point of not telling exactly how you feel? Like, even if one person understands it, and it wasn't about, like, I want to, you know, be a spokesperson. I want to say something in my music. It's like, well, no, I'm just an oversharer. And so, like, I have to, I have to sing like that. I have to write like that. Where, yeah, a lot of the songs have a little too many lyrics. But just... I don't think so. I think no. I think that it's exactly it's exactly as it should be. You know, coming out with an EP versus an album as your you know your first debut almost is 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 risky. It's tricky, and I feel like especially yeah. because most people know you as you know for for your acting career and on on the show, and then also you know there's so many other things that you've done in your life. Uh, not just Glee. I also think people are going to be pleasantly surprised. You know, a lot of people don't even know that you were in a, like, boy band before uh, you were in yeah. Glee. Like, a lot of people don't, unless that's completely wrong. But a lot of people don't even know that story. No, most people do not know. Yeah. yeah. That's what, what, what was the boy band called? <laughs> um, we were called NLP. <laughs> Wait, you and... went really quiet. That's the best thing. Uh, <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> um, you know, it was I'm not I, trying to embarrass funny. you. I, I, I love no, boy bands. I, act or I sometimes feel embarrassed about it, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know why. It was sort of the best like training ground for my life, mm. I guess, in terms of, especially for Glee, where like you have... We toured, we had dance rehearsal, we were in the recording studio for hours on end. We were in meetings with, you know, adults when we were like 15 or 16 years old at record labels. So I really figured out how to handle myself in the business sense and in the entertainment sense of how to actually do these things. And, you know, Justin, who produced all these songs, directs my music videos, is my roommate. He was in the group with me. Like, we've made lifelong friends from it as well. And so, and um, Tech, who's an amazing vocal producer and engineer and producer himself, he, um, he mixed James Dean, mm -hmm. and we met during the NLT days. <clears throat> and he, he does all Justin Bieber's music. But, you know, so you make these connections and friendships that you hopefully can carry on for a lifetime. And we've been able to like sort of circle back and almost because in my head, there's the NLP period of life <laughs> and then there's the Glee period of life and the Glee period of life was obviously a very different thing. And so for me, I almost feel like I'm full circle going back to the music part of my life, which is sometimes hard to remember because it was, you know, over 12 years ago. Right. So it's a really strange thing, but honestly it taught me, I think it was very, very, lucky to come out of it sort of unscathed because yeah we weren't very successful at all and I got to experience a lot and meet a lot of people and sort of do all of that world without having the crumble of if we were successful and then let's say one of the guys went and made a solo album or you know and, and I and I think it was probably to everybody's benefit that it wasn't successful for a lot of those reasons. <laughs> no, but I love that you, you're still finding the lessons in it. And that's sometimes so hard to do when you're looking back. 
because you're like, okay, that's just a part of my life. You close your eyes and you think, okay, maybe if I close my eyes long enough, it will go away. But, you know, I think that right. it's normal to, you know, your life's also been in the public eye. I think a lot of people who are maybe sitting listening to this who are no longer in the bands that they once were when they were younger, you know, maybe they wouldn't want me to be, un, you know, rehashing all, all of those days. Um, but yours yours has been obviously in the public eye. But I think what's what I'm wondering is what was it like then splitting that musical brain and your musical identity once you started working on a show like Lee, which, as you said, you toured, you, you had to learn choreography, you had to work and be in meetings with, you know, do the business side of things. Because that show had such a clear voice, but then you were needing almost, you know, you, you also had to express your own voice on, on that show. So how did you approach right. that split? of finding your own identity of being a human <laughs> growing up and then also following the script and being part of that story. I think, um, I don't know how much separation there actually was mm -hmm. because, you know, looking back on it now, it, it's clear to see, but at the time that was my life 24 seven where we didn't have time to do or think about anything else where I didn't realize until the show ended or was like, Oh, I've never lived in LA as an adult. I'm like, this is strange because the wow. last time I had any free time, I was 20 and I was, I was like a year out of high school and I was on tour with the boy band. And so I've always lived a sort of strange, not normal life, whether it was successful or not, or people knew about it, but like that was my day to day. And during the Glee days, my identity, and I think for most of us, it was the show. And because especially I think the first, the original like eight to 10 of us, where we were the ones like sent to do press all around the U.S. Absolutely. And we to Australia to do press really mm -hmm. early on. And so we helped, we felt really connected. Like we were a part of building the success of the show. And then we were all very, very, very close the cast and the crew and the executives and work-wise it was sort of easy because again it didn't feel that different from NLT in a lot of ways but it was just like the successful side of it right where I remember <laughs> yeah Rob Stringer who is the head of Columbia Records at the time who's now the head of Sony he would say because he knew I was signed to Geffen Interscope so under Universal with NLT and so he was just like, what, what's it like to be on the successful end of this now? I'm like, well, let me tell you, it's great. Because I don't have to worry about any of the other bullshit that we'd have to worry about. Like, are people going to show up to our show? Are, are, are songs going to get in front of the right eyes? Are people actually going to hear this? Where we knew week in, week out that people were, millions of people were going to hear the songs. They were going to hear me rap terribly. Or, you know, like we didn't know... But it was fine because it was the character. So there was sort of the persona of me as a person doing the show. And then obviously there was the character doing it. And I could excuse a lot of it because it was the character, if that makes sense, in terms of performance. Mm. But in personal life, like, that's all we did. And, you know, I talked to Rob Stringer at some point during the show. Um, and I was like, you know, I would like to do music again. And, but I would just like to sort of covertly slide in and do, at that time, like the DJ feature had just become like a really big thing. 
Yeah, it was just like David Guetta. I remember when we went to Australia the first time, we were at a club and it was like Akon and David Guetta. Oh like my God, bitch, yes. I think it was the song. <laughs> yes. And so like, yeah. Oh my God, and I so want to listen to that song Guetta. now. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, that song. so good. I miss Akon. Um, but, you know, that was like they, like David Guetta sort of ushered in dance music to the rest of the world. It was already big in the UK and other places, but like, it wasn't mainstream in the U.S. And so, like, I went to Rob and I was like, I just want to do features. Like, is that possible to just, I know nobody knows me. They would have to put my name on it. Like, I think that'd be a really cool way to just, like, separate. I'm like, I'm sure people won't want to work with me because they know I'm from Glee. And that has a certain, like, stigma. But, like, let me try to do this. He's like, well, why don't we go a step further? And he's like, I'll sign you an A&R. And he's like, why don't we set up some sessions? And you just consider this like a hobby and see where it goes. Yeah. I was like, well, I can't say no to that. Or the head of Columbia records of is course. literally giving me the keys to like go into the studio and like mess around for free. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, cool. And so I wish I had you years ago to talk to about this because you probably could have helped me figure this out. how <laughs> <laughs> you have been talking about it, but you are on hundred percent right. Where when it came time to actually do music, I had no idea who I was especially as an artist, because I'd always been part of a group or an ensemble right? where I was an NLP and then I was a part of Glee. And then at that time I was so media trained out my ass. Of, so of like course. I didn't know what I was allowed to say or not say. And which I is, was which is good in a years old. Yeah, it's tough. But I also think that again, looking at the lessons part of it, getting your start in that way, you know, because weirdly, although I love I love having casual conversations, there is a point where artists, the artist needs to be separate to press or humans. You know, I really like that. I don't like being friends. Not that I'm, you know, not friends with anybody that I talk to, but I'm not in this, you know, to make friends. We, we, we want to just be curious and connect. I think that that's the difference. And when you are primed to a point where you don't know what to say, or you don't know if you're saying the right thing. It is tricky, but it's also just the 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 way that it is, right? It, it's you 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 are you are also representing uh, this conglomerate. I I think I was really somehow after all these years I wasn't jaded enough. I was naive to think that people would separate me from the show. And like, let's say going on auditions or having meetings for other projects where there was a really clear connection to, I was very, all of us were, to be fair, everyone from the show was very pigeonholed into like sort of backed into a corner of like, well, this is what you are now. Because Glee was sort of this like strange phenomenon where we, it sort of exploded and got out of control how big it was. And we obviously had no idea, but like, it's hard for me as a person in that to see it how everyone else does which I understand but at the time and I you know I would have friends like Justin or other friends being like trying to you know sort of pinch me like do you realize what you're part of you realize what's going on and you have it's impossible to completely step back to look at it objectively but after Glee where I'm like I'm not the character I'm me I've always been the exact same haven't changed whatsoever. I've gotten to do all these amazing, had these amazing experiences because of the show, which has been wonderful. 
but so you know that's then now a part of me but at the same time it's like well yeah everyone just assumes i'm already and you're the nerdy guy in the wheelchair and that's like the only thing you can play in acting and your music has to be like glee stuff and you're like wait a minute for example things that help break those um stereotypes or you know people thinking about you that don't know you is like during a show like glee where in between seasons sometimes you get to go do other projects like movies or tv shows whatever it may be and slowly as people see you in different ways you break that persona but if you <laughs> reflect on what all of us collectively got to do through the entirety of glee it was not much because we didn't have and this is not a complaint at all because trust me i'm the first person to say i was very very grateful to drive through those gates of paramount every single day to film glee but what happens is a lot of times you get to do all those other things we didn't have time to or it simply just didn't fit into the schedule or where i i think i had a movie lined up every single summer and none of them happened either because you know the movie doesn't get funding or we have to go on tour or whatever it may be and because it was such a massive thing again people sort of didn't want to touch us because we were so um aligned with our characters more than I think a lot of other shows where we were almost caricatures. I knew Phantom of the Opera. Like, that was basically it. Like, I would put on Phantom of the Opera in the living room. But, yeah, I didn't know, like, any of the current stuff. We would do... Actually, no, it's not even just current. I honestly didn't really know anything beyond that. Like, I just had no idea. Like, I, was, I came from, like, the R&B pop world. So I knew the current music we would do, where Amber and I would get, like... Jasmine Sullivan's music on the show and stuff like that, where we would introduce Ryan Murphy to like, here's what the kids are listening to. <laughs> and, but the beauty of the show was that it wasn't just about that. It was about, like what you said, the, it was about classic rock songs and Broadway songs being introduced to sort of the mainstream in a way that they never really had a chance or to a new generation so wait so when you grew where you grew up was your was there just a lot of pop music so my sister my, my sister was an acting agent at the time in dallas texas where i'm from and she was very pregnant and got these free tickets to go see ricky martin which is it was like living la vida loca like oh, the peak the ricky prime martin. oh like Yes. Oh, yeah. When everybody just wanted some Ricky Martin. Mm. And so she offered the tickets to like, me and my mom. Mm. I had never been to like an arena concert before. Wow. And and I loved pop music. And I was obsessed with living the Vida Loca. So I was like, okay. I'm like, cool. Let's go. Yeah. And we went. And I was just in shock. Mm. Like, I was in awe of... It was almost... In my dad is obsessed with Elvis, so I grew up uh, watching a lot of Elvis. Yeah. And, like, when he would sort of, like, shake his hips or even just move his leg, like, the girls in the crowd would go crazy. Yeah. And there were, to me, there was a direct correlation to, like, Ricky Martin would be standing there, and he would do, like, one hip thing, and everybody would lose their mind. <laughs> and I was just like, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. 
And that was the start. I think like the second one was Backstreet Boys, and then I went to NSYNC, and oh. I saw Britney Spears. So, oh like, I was, my god! You know, fanatic you, in the nineties. You're breaking yeah. my heart. You mentioned Elvis. So you seeing Ricky? I mean, was that just? Do you remember like what you were wearing? Do you remember like how, if you were like worried about the crowd? How? Because I mean, if that's your first stadium show, and Ricky was intense, yeah. like the love. I wish that yeah. whoever's listening now, and if you love Ricky Martin, please let me know because Ricky, he was great. <laughs> like I, if, every, he was oh, kitsch. Like such a good performer. He was kitsch exactly. I think that's what I loved most about what he was doing is that it was just it was so out there and so camp, and there, nothing nothing yeah. made sense. You know, <laughs> it was no. Yeah. It, it, it was just it <laughs> was just correct. pure sweet candy. But <laughs> but so a lot like the nineties. A lot like the nineties, exactly. And I grew up in the nineties as well. So I mean, that's it's a, it's a sweet spot. So when you when you went, what did you do? You remember any defining thing from that experience, like the crowd or maybe? I I, I don't remember. I remember my view, like I remember where I was sitting roughly and my view of the crowd mm, and mm, seeing how mm. many people were there. And Jessica Simpson had just put out her first single and she was <laughs> opening up because she was from Dallas. as well. Mm. So I think that's why maybe she was just doing that one gig or something. And I remember them introducing her and she either she said it or somebody said that she was from Dallas and it sort of blew my mind because at that point, like famous people were famous people. Right. Like other people can't be famous people. <laughs> like yeah. I didn't get that famous people were just regular people who happened to become really famous. No, I totally like, get I didn't what you said. That yet. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And seeing that she was from Dallas and she got up there and was singing to her like hometown, I think that was sort of like a light bulb in my head of like, oh, that would be the coolest thing ever. Not really connecting that, like I maybe could try to do that one day, but just being like this, that is the coolest thing I have ever seen. And then being able to see this person who I've watched on MTV for forever, Ricky Martin, and then having him do it on stage really close to me was like a really strange, like I wasn't someone who was screaming and going crazy. I, I, vaguely remember myself just sitting there and like watching in silence because I think I was, I didn't know how to react to what was going on. Well, I mean, it's it's like when a car when a dog a dog goes out the car window. The reason why they love it is because they yeah. are completely it, all of their senses are like heightened, and it's that experience of like yep. you are you are seeing everything and hearing. I think that they I definitely believe in frequencies and vibe and vibrations, and I think that being in a crowd yeah. like that that is just so. Uh, you know verbose everything is loud everything is you know you can feel it it's palpable i think that that's it's what an amazing first concert but so when did everything really click for you then that when you decided to pursue it what was the moment that you felt um defined your Mm. maybe the the idea the seed that you were that you were going to pursue something like that my sister was sort of the driving force of all of this because She's the oldest kid, and I'm the youngest one. She's 16 years older than me, but wow. we were the closest because we, we had the same interests. Like, she liked the entertainment business. I was always singing and dancing and performing for the family. I, I don't know. I used to, like, record myself doing the weather because I wanted to be a weatherman. And I would record myself <laughs> doing the news. I was, yeah. 
<laughs> Wait, you can't just like, drop that and carry on talking. <laughs> Listen. I tried. <laughs> Listen. Um, okay. So wait, what was it appealing about the weather? Was it just it was it just being able to deliver good news to uh, the people? Like I being... <laughs> think my mom. No, my mom totally. I'm totally blaming her. She okay. made me a bit neurotic about the weather because we had really terrible tornadoes. Yes, yes. Like, it's what you call Tornado Alley. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very paranoid there would be a tornado all the time. So I would, my brother's friends used to give him shit because they're like, every time we come over, your little brother's sitting in front of the TV watching the weather channel. Oh, no. (laughs) And I was. I would be sitting and, like, making sure the weather was going to be okay. And if it was all dark cloud, I would run away. Yes. So I think maybe my way of coping with that was to do the weather myself. (laughs) And I would film, like, fake weather forecasts. And just, like, record it. And I would record myself also doing the news. I don't know why. So maybe that was the lead up to me realizing I liked being in front of a camera. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I think there's something like this public servant, you know, you, you are being, you yes. are, yeah. I liked being the monkey that you talked about right. earlier. Like, I liked being like, you know, like dance monkey. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Um, it takes guts, though. It takes guts. I guess. Yeah. You don't, as a kid, you're not thinking about it. You're just doing it. Because of course. You know, it's playing make-believe so you like it it's a, and yeah an attention there's there's that I'm like, like oh i'm gonna turn this into a career yes <laughs> so what did your did your sister intervene and she was like you know you will never be a weatherman you you are destined for greater <laughs> things no not quite okay it was more like you should tell my parents like oh there's a singing teacher you should have him start taking singing lessons and see if he really likes it because mm. my sister moved to LA when she was 19 to try to be an actress did not did not work out mm. she mm. hated auditioning and got too many nerves and it wasn't for her but she ended up working at the Tonight Show with Jay Leno and oh, wow. was taking singing lessons out here so, so she sort of got a taste of it and so she sort of knew she, she moved back to Dallas to start a family with her husband and she was like, put him in singing lessons. So then I started the singing lessons and I was deathly shy as a kid, mind you. I was like the type of kid who would hide behind his parents if we went anywhere in public and had to oh, meet wow. somebody new. Yeah. Like I was very, the opposite of, I, of I, how I am now. <laughs> and <laughs> so singing lessons were a really terrifying thing because I was sitting in the shower and in my own house for my family, but that was one thing. And then having to sing in front of other people, I remember every week they would have another person perform at the end of class. And I think I was the last one to do it because I was so deathly afraid. Mm. But again, it was that thing of, oh, I would do it and then I would see that I would make people happy or they would like what I would do. And so I was like, okay, well, people are enjoying this and it's really terrifying, terrifying for me to do this, but... I got past it and I did it and people liked it. Mm, so then mm. that started the whole train of, I, you know, moved up to the next class and singing lessons and they were like, you should take dance lessons because I liked to dance. Mm. And so I started doing that. And then the singing teacher in Dallas, she would have us perform at like local malls and things, which seems awful because it sort of was, but it sort of, if you can perform in a local mall, to a crowd that does not want to be there because yeah. they're trying to shop and there's a little kid shouting at them. 
then you can sort of do anything. Right. It's, it's, you're putting yourself in, in a really vulnerable position with people wanting to, like, yeah, exactly. yeah cuss and, and shout at you or, or just not pay attention. I think that's more of, of, of them not paying any attention. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that happened for a couple of years. And then I think my sister was like, okay, mom, you should take Kevin out to California to like try the acting thing. Cause at that time I was doing some commercials sort of as much as you can do in Dallas. Right. Which is commercials. Right. And I remember I had grown up going to LA to visit my sister. And then, so I was very familiar and comfortable with it and had lots of friends there. And we then went to LA for a couple months. I think I got an agent or a manager, sort of hard to remember. And it went on a couple auditions. I think I did a commercial. And then we drove to California. And I remember driving back and we got, we were driving into Dallas. And I remember I just started crying. Oh, no. And, and it was like, oh, LA feels like home. Oh, uh, yeah. Where it was like that. It was a really strange, I'm like, why am I, you know when you start crying and you don't realize you're crying? Yes. Or like there was no premeditated thought to set it off. You're just like, oh, and there are tears. Yeah. Because I didn't want to return to sort of the normal life of, oh, now I go to school and to basketball practice and that's just going to be it. Where now I've seen sort of the other side of what I can do. Absolutely. And I can... It's sort of like you go to Disneyland for the first time and you're like, there are all these things I can do and I don't want to go anywhere else. And I think that was probably the real kicker was mm. coming back that first time from L.A. and being like, oh, well, I can't unsee this now. Yeah, where it's there's in your a blood. Whole world that exists where I can go do all the things that I want to do. And then I, I, it took a couple of years, but my siblings are so much older than me. My parents eventually were like, okay, let's move to L.A. Wow. And not just because I could do what I wanted to do, but because they're not from the South. They were over Southern people. And they're like, let's try something else. And they wanted to move to L.A. And then I could go to high school and do music and acting, you know, much more easily than I could in Dallas. Mm. So then do you remember your first performance, like the first ever time that you performed? Obviously, you mentioned the more, but the, the time when you got your first show, you know, not when you were really trying to figure it out, something that like your first booked paid gig. Do you remember mm. that? But there, there were two times growing up in Texas where there was a big Walmart convention. Yeah. <laughs> and And it was like a paid gig at, an arena and I had to perform an Elvis song for some reason dressed in like Walmart camo <laughs> gear as, as you do in Texas. I don't yeah. know why. And I remember getting up there and doing it and it felt very professional. There were a lot of lights. It was a corporate gig, you know, yeah. and I was like 12 or 13 or something. And that I really liked because it was the first, I think that was the first time I had been in front of a crowd that size. Mm. you know outside of a mall or something like that and I was like this is amazing and then with NLT we toured we opened for the Pussycat Dolls oh, amazing. Uh, um, in theaters and so that was good that also felt like a really big crowd but doing Glee the first show we did because it was sort of a, the first tour we did two tours um, after the first season it was a theater tour where we only did four cities 
um, ending in New York City at Radio City Music Hall. Mm-hmm. And wow. so we didn't know like what was going to happen. I think the idea of a TV show going on tour was like a strange, strange concept, yes. strange thing. Yeah, yeah. And the first show was weird because we didn't know if we should be playing our characters or not. But I was in the wheelchair. So, like, I had to be in character the whole time. But anyway, the first show was sort of strange, and the audience didn't really react how, like, I was expecting, you know, Britney Spears and Sync style reaction from mm-hmm. the audience. <laughs> because <laughs> at that point, we knew, we knew, like, um, how the music sales were going. We knew our ratings. So we knew mm-hmm. we had a really big, dedicated fan base. But we right. realized after the first show that people were used to watching a TV show. And they're used to seeing us as characters in their living room every week. And they almost treated it like it was a theater show where they only really reacted at the end. Mm. And so it was only like the second show where we sort of got into the swing of things. You realize we had to interact with them more to involve them more. And that was, even though I was, you know, we were in character, I was in the wheelchair, couldn't get up and dance. It was still a really incredible I mean, that's my favorite thing in the world is touring like that, mm. like getting to go. My probably my favorite experience of anything I've ever gotten to do was the second tour we did because it was arenas and we went everywhere from L.A. to London. And I wish we got to go more places, but that's all they legally could have us do. And yeah, um, I mean, we were at the O2 in London for seven sold out shows in a row, which was very strange. And a lot of the cast did not want to be there. They were over it because, you know, we had shot a TV show for nine months and then you immediately have to go on a tour for six weeks. And everyone was just tired. Everyone was sick. Yeah. I also don't think people realize how ginormous O2 is to play. So like selling that out for several nights. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, people were people were just feeling exhausted from the actual from filming, and then you had to go on tour. Well, no, we were. I mean, everyone was because we had long hours. Like we had fifteen, yeah. sixteen hour days yeah. filming, and then we had three days off, and then we had to go to Las Vegas to set up the tour, and we set up the whole arena tour in three days. Wow. And so everyone was a bit tired, and because of, luckily they all Ryan Murphy. He was like making the set list and they, he was asking what they wanted the encore to be. Mm-hmm. And luckily all the girls basically voted for me to get to do safety dance, which is where I got to get up and dance. Mm-hmm. And Ryan was so against it because he didn't want to break. He was like, it's so important for people who are on wheelchairs to see themselves represented, which I really appreciated and liked to the extent they were going to like build an elevator on the side of the stage to bring me down to quick change. So no, they would never see me get out of the wheelchair. Mm, mm. But, you know, they then made this whole encore based around me basically hosting it, where it was like five songs. And I think I was in every song or four Mm. out of the five or something, or it was just me on stage killing time. I was like, this is my absolute dream. And so granted people were upset and tired. I was like, coming from an unsuccessful music experience where now we're getting to sell out arena night after night or I was eating it up. And also to be fair, we were not necessarily financially compensated how you would normally be. Yeah. So it was the people were tired and the business side of it was also not great. Not great. And that made people understandably upset. 
But I mean, sort especially of like, well, with touring. We have to be here, so we might as well enjoy it. Yeah. You know? But so after that tour, did you feel... Because when did all this music start? Do you feel like that's something that you want to pursue with this EP? Like, do you feel like you'll be touring? Do you feel like that's the direction you want to go? Or is this just something that you have to creatively tick off your list and now you can carry on with the acting side of things? How, how involved are you in, in, in the music side now? I sort of I feel like I don't have a choice in terms of I've always just done music and acting mm-hmm. where like they're the only two things I know how to do. <laughs> and the reason this music is coming out is because it felt like it had to or it's like I felt proud of it and it had to. And I doubt that that won't happen again. And touring is my favorite thing. So like I think we'll see where again, this has sort of been like an experiment to see are people going to respond to this? Is there a desire for me to put out more music? And it's exciting because it has been an overwhelmingly positive experience thus far. And only one song has come out. And I mean, another song's coming out next week. So it's just sort of like playing it by ear. Like the acting thing is always happening. And it, that can always be looked at more as a hobby because it's so inconsistent mm. where there's auditions or there's things. And like, Sure, I will commit to go do something a year from now, but you don't know if it's going to get funded and you don't know if it's actually going to happen, which happens all the time. So I've always just done both and I feel like I just can't, I have no control over stopping that. Which is wonderful. (laughs) Again, like having no, you know, also following, just following your heart and knowing that this is where you're at now. I mean, also people are going to be, they're not only surprised that you are coming out with music that sounds like this. I think people are also going to be surprised with how your image has shifted because when, again, it's you were so young when you were shooting Glee, you look completely different to what you look like now. You were playing a yeah. character then, you know, you, you have, of course, right. you've matured in, in, you know, to objectifying your image here, but you've matured and now you are representing again this new, uh, this persona and this image which I think is important for other people to see. But what do you feel then is the most... Because I think you mentioned earlier, you know, representing someone with a disability in a musical, again, was really never done. And what do you feel like you're representing now? I think it's sort of what we touched on earlier, where the music is all from that stage of everybody losing their minds. (laughs) (laughs) I'm inspired by so many of the younger I sound old but the younger like artists like let's say like Billie Eilish or Mm. Lord or Kevin Abstract where they just don't give a shit they're just doing well at least it's coming off like they don't give a shit and they're doing whatever they want to do and I feel like that's sort of how I feel where it's like let's talk about all the things we don't want to talk about like there's no judgment. It doesn't matter. Everyone's going through the same shit, no matter if somebody's better at hiding it than somebody else. Mm. And that's sort of what I feel like where living, especially in LA where everybody takes themselves very seriously, everyone's trying to become an actor or a singer or whatever. And a lot of that time you're just being mean to other people to build yourself up because you're unhappy where you're at. And I think a lot of this is just like me reflecting on where I've come from and calling myself out on it and being like, okay, now that sort of part of me has matured and that part of me is done. Mm. And now we're moving on. Mm. Where like, let's just 
sort of, I know this sounds lame and like hippie, but. No, it doesn't. No, like, not on this show. But, like, you know, like, <laughs> but like, it's all, it's like, it's not that serious. Mm-hmm. Like, we are, and I used to say this on Glee to people when we get upset or have long days, like, we're not curing cancer here. Like, we're here to express ourselves creatively, make people happy, and dance and feel good. And that's sort of all I want out of it, where I don't, you know, I'm here obviously to like fulfill myself creatively, and it doesn't need to be at the detriment of anybody else. Right. So like everybody can exist together. Everybody can have success together. And that's how it should be. Or, yeah, I guess that's it. (laughs) No, absolutely. Is there just to just to end off, because I'm sure you need to go. But is there an artist that you are dying to work with somebody that you feel with or maybe an actor, you know, that you that you really just kind of idolize and you wish that you could you know, kind of be in the same room so you could take oh some God. of their juju. Are you kidding me? I will <laughs> literally watch Kate Blanchett do anything. She oh, my can, God. I love her. Uh, I mean, oh. this is going to sound really crude. You can <laughs> cut this out if you have to. <laughs> but my thing is, like, I always say, like, I will watch her. I will watch her, like, take a shit on stage. And love it. <laughs> like, she can, yeah, do she can do anything. whatever she wants. No, totally. Yeah, she like, could... whatever she wants, I will, yeah. No, absolutely. Like anything she does, she just needs to look, just walk into a room and she could walk out. I'd be, I'd be fine. Yes. I'd be deceased. It's like standing ovation. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably yeah. be deceased. Exactly. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and the kickback for our theme song, Rube and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already Consequence Podcast Network.